On today's show, who merits inclusion in a four-team college football playoff? Before we get there, I would like to give you one reason to brighten your day as to why gambling should be legal everywhere. On Thursday night, the Carolina Panthers go on the road to play the Houston Texans. The total of that game is set at 44 points, and I can assure you I will be taking the under. Now, people think that I'm crazy because I love terrible Thursday night NFL football games, okay? And I love them almost as much as I love good NFL games played on Sunday. And I want to explain the logic behind that. Thursday night, short rest. There's injury concerns. Thursday night is a night that is just a quagmire. It's no football team can possibly succeed in these circumstances. You can't overcome them, okay? It just plays into garbage football. So you don't want to waste good teams or a good matchup in a Thursday night football game. Now, for this game in particular, Panthers-Texans does not get any more broke down than Davis Mills making his first career start for the Houston Texans under center. Tyrod Taylor goes down on Sunday. We're going to see Davis Mills, a man who did not have any notable moments at Stanford, now being fed to the Wolves on a Thursday night game against a Panthers team that might be good, especially on defense. They've looked very good through two games against the Jets and the Saints. And I'm thinking that maybe they're good, but we're going to see them on an island game on Thursday going against a starting quarterback who has never started in the NFL. I'm not totally sold on Sam Darnold on the Carolina side, but again, we are betting under because this is a game that seemed destined for a grubby, grubby, grubby Thursday night football game that I absolutely love. And we have our reason why gambling should be legal everywhere, because how else could anybody enjoy watching Davis Mills starting an island game for the Houston Texans? And now, Sports with Chris Rall. Merits inclusion in a four-team college football playoff. Now, I don't know if it's because last year's COVID season was too strange and I didn't fully enjoy it, even though I enjoyed it greatly in the moment just because I was starved for sports. It was like handing me uh, a piece of Wonder Bread after an eight-day fast, and I thought it was as good as a Bruce Chris steak, and I gobbled it down. And I felt good about it in the moment, and now with time to clear my head and my body, I realize I ate a piece of Wonder Bread, and it was not as good as I thought. This season so far is resonating with me greatly, because I spent a lot of the summer months talking on the show and just amongst my friends and people who like football, and kind of semi-complaining that there are only really five teams that matter within this sport, Alabama, Georgia, Clemson. Oklahoma, Ohio State. Five teams that seem to be head and shoulders above the rest. In two areas in particular, the ability to recruit very good players and the ability to coach very good players at a high level. Those two things, as it turns out, shocking, I know, are key to creating a very good college football team, especially relative to a lot of programs that don't have one of those two things or sometimes both of those two things. So I kind of felt coming to the season, all right, we'll probably see a repeat of seasons past where these teams in particular have accounted for 75% of playoff berths since the playoff came around in 2014. Through three weeks, 
which it should be noted with a large giant asterisk. It's three weeks. Through three weeks, we have seen something different. So I'm not fully willing to bail on this opinion because, again, what seems clear after three weeks suddenly is the exact opposite in six weeks or in 12 weeks. Uh, There's always a certain amount of overreactions and just misinterpretation about football teams in general. That only with a full season under our belt do we truly comprehend what these first three weeks meant to this team or this team or this team. So again, take everything that I am going to say today through that prism. It's early. It's three weeks. It's enough information to start being able to digest and discuss in a way that I think is just beyond theory. However, it's still less than a quarter of a season. So while I'm not bailing on this opinion of these five teams, they're the only teams that matter, I am willing to start engaging with the idea of more of a chaotic college football season being available, uh, which is the best type of college football season. Chaos, when it rains in this sport, there's nothing better. You just want to see everything burnt to the ground. So amongst these five teams, we've seen weaknesses already in a way that I just didn't expect. Definitely early on and maybe not throughout the duration of the season until they play one another. Starts right at the top. Alabama, still the best team. Number one, without a doubt. You will never hear me argue otherwise until they are literally dethroned. They're just the one constant in the entire universe. Alabama football will be right at the top of the college football power structure. But they also looked beatable for the first time in two seasons against Florida on Saturday. And Florida ran the ball really, really well, almost 250 yards. Noticeable weakness. And they outgained Alabama by over 100 yards. Okay, haven't seen that in a while. And they had a two-point conversion to tie the game with about three minutes to go on the clock. They failed. They lost by two. However, when you're looking for flaws or weaknesses at the top, something that another team could possibly take advantage of, we saw something. Again, it's small, but we saw something from Alabama in a way that at no point did we see last season when they were one of the greatest college football teams that anybody's ever seen. Right below them, the Georgia Bulldogs. Number two team in the nation, I don't think that is up for debate. I think these two teams at the top through three weeks, they are the two best teams in the country. And probably, possibly, will be the two teams left standing at the end playing one another after an SEC title game and then playing again in the playoff. That's what college football is now. However, even with Georgia, great season opening win against Clemson. Go on the, actually not on the road, go to a neutral site game, uh, but they still win 10-3. They beat up on South Carolina this Saturday. Their defense is the best in college football, but when you're nitpicking and you're saying, okay, this gives me hope that another team could come along and maybe give you problems, I still need to see that their offense is completely changed. That Clemson game, it was 10-3. South Carolina, okay, they beat them. They scored 40 points. I need to see this offense with JT Daniels under center, uh, who has been injured, who has not started one of their games, who was off and on in the South Carolina game, who didn't really do anything of note against Clemson. I need to see this offense prove that it is something that can hold up against an Alabama-like onslaught, the team that rules college football and dominates with offense. I need to see that from Georgia, and I'm not fully convinced 
through three weeks that that exists. Now, those two teams, again, are right at the top. And if you're talking about the college football playoff, you would say, yeah, these are the two teams that should be in it right now in present day. Early in the season to talk about, but it's about theory right now. But based upon some information, enough to start generating interesting discussion, in my opinion. These other teams are where it starts to get really interesting as far as who merits inclusion within this playoff. Because we've seen a noticeable drop-off amongst the other three. Clemson, probably first and foremost. (laughs) Which I'm still trying to comprehend what has happened to the offense of this team. They played three games. They're averaging 22 points per game. That is 107th out of 130 FBS teams. They're averaging 188 passing yards per game. This is a team... That alongside Alabama has been the standard bearer for offense ruling college football. And this is how you can dominate everybody if you just roll out an explosive offense with a lot of NFL talent that is coached well. Clemson is one of the teams that has borne that standard. And yet through three games, that's what they've been doing. Now, it's also interesting to make note that one of those games was against South Carolina State, an FCS team. They bonked them 49 to 3. If you extract that game and look at the two games they've played against FPS competition, Georgia, week one, obviously, really good, high-level defensive team, and Georgia Tech on Saturday, not what anybody would mistake for a high-level team or defensive team. They've scored 17 total points in those two games. They have averaged 3.7 yards per play in those games. They lost outright as favorites to the University of Georgia, They squeaked out a six-point win that required a goal line stop right at the end against Georgia Tech as 28.5-point favorites at home. This is not a very good start to the season for any team, much less a team that brought expectations into this year like Clemson had. Expectations of, we should easily be in the college football playoff, and we should be one of the teams that's on the short list for who can win a national title. So far, they do not look like that. Granted, they play in the ACC, which is not a good football conference in present day, and they could still go run the table. Whether that would be enough to even put them into the playoff, I'm kind of skeptical on. I think it would take other stuff happening, and it's not an easy cut and dry. If Clemson wins out and they have one loss on their resume, we just automatically include them. I'm not fully sure that that is true based on how they've looked early on. Oklahoma... Another one of those power five. They've had warts of their own. They're still undefeated. They're 3-0. However, what they've been doing in those games, it merits discussion in its own right. For what is this team in the context of the college football universe? How good are they actually? Because they've played two FBS teams out of their three games. They beat Tulane by five points. Tulane had the ball at midfield with... A minute to go, chance to win the game outright. And they beat Nebraska on Saturday by seven points, a game that was tight and close and hard fought. And nobody is going to mistake Tulane or Nebraska for very good football teams anytime soon. Little bit of an alarm for a team that, again, fancies itself as a national title contender and just kind of an automatic inclusion within this playoff discussion. 
there's a lot that still needs to be proven by this Oklahoma team, especially on the offensive side of the ball where Spencer Rattler and that unit, which we all just thought would be good for 50 points and 500 yards every game, they're not really doing that. And they really struggled on Saturday against Nebraska. Last but not least, the Ohio State Buckeyes, who have also played three games, who have also not lived up to preseason expectations. First game, they go on the road to Minnesota. Close, hard-fought game. They end up pulling it out by two touchdowns. It was closer than that. You could write it off in a vacuum and say, hey, Big Ten, it's a hard place. Even these teams in, within the middle part of the conference, if you go on the road and play them, on the right day, they can give you fits. So you don't really apologize for beating Minnesota. You just move on and do better the next week. However, the next week, they come home, the horseshoe, they're 14 and a half point favorites against the Oregon Ducks. And Oregon, without their two best defensive players, Kayvon Thibodeau and Justin Flo, they just physically manhandle Ohio State and take it to them and win outright. So Ohio State, on Saturday, they're playing at home against Tulsa. Seems like it's going to be a get-right game. Just beat them by 100 points and, you know, go run the table in the Big Ten. You'll be fine. And then they're somehow in a dogfight in that game against the Tulsa Golden Hurricane. And Tulsa's down four in the fourth quarter with a chance to take the lead with the ball uh, before Ohio State scores at the end and gets a pick six to make the final margin look like it was uh, more of a, a blowout than the game actually was. It was a very close game. So you start to see a little bit of chaos unfolding at the top, which is always the first key to a chaotic college football season. We haven't had upsets amongst the top two teams, but we've seen Ohio State go down. We've seen Clemson go down. We've seen Oklahoma struggle, and they still have the entire Big 12 schedule on deck. And so now you start to look at the season as a whole, and you start to think about this question that I pose at the top of this show, who merits inclusion in a four-team playoff. I'm going to read a note from Bill Connolly of ESPN. Almost 20 ranked teams have already lost in just three weeks. And even Alabama looked downright mortal against Florida. Even if you accept the premise that Bama and Georgia are the two best teams in the country, the discussion for number three could involve up to about 15 teams. End quote. So again, we start to expand now, which is why I think so far this college football season has been so intriguing. Because we're starting to expand the scope beyond these five teams as the teams who are battling for four playoff bursts. We start to say, okay, the discussion for number three right now is a lot more interesting than maybe we thought it would be coming into this season. Now, it's important to make a note that when the playoff was instituted in 2014, part of the selling point for that was that everybody will have a chance. A great kumbaya world of college football that has never existed in the past. The promise was starting in 2014, everybody can have a chance. It's going to be great. Everybody will convince themselves. And if you win out, then you could be one of these four teams playing for the national title. Now, I am a very skeptical man in general when it comes to kumbaya promises. I am very skeptical about kumbaya promises in the world of college football because those do not really exist. So when it was instituted, I said, I will have to see that before I believe it. And indeed, it is not proven to be the case. And I think a lot of people started to comprehend this in the 2017 season. 
because the University of Central Florida Golden Knights ran the table and went undefeated that year. Uh, The final college football rankings of the regular season, they were released on December 3rd. For those of you who don't know, the College Football Playoff Committee, they're a bunch of old people comprised of athletic director positions and this person, who knows, doesn't matter. A bunch of old people get together at a Best Western and eat a continental breakfast and talk about who the four best teams are. That's how this stuff's decided. I know we thought it was a computer algorithm or something. No, it's just you eat cheap sausage and bacon and say, here are the four teams that we think are the best. So the final college football playoff rankings that year, December 3rd, 2017, Clemson, Oklahoma, Georgia, Alabama. Interesting to note in context of that power five team discussion, because those are four of the five. And actually, it's also interesting to note, the fifth team that was left out that year was Ohio State. Literally the five teams that matter. That was the 2017 season. Now, if you scan further down the rankings, a UCF team that hammer dunked virtually everybody in its path till its final two games, and then it played a very good South Florida team that ended the season ranked in the top 25, double-digit wins, beat them by seven. And then in the AAC title game, Beat Memphis, another very good double-digit win team that finished the season ranked top 25. Beat them in double overtime. Keep scanning down the rankings and you go, oh, no, not seeing them yet. And then you get down by where 9-4 and four Stanford is and you have UCF at number 12. So at this point in time, I think a lot of people were kind of perturbed because... We felt like, hmm, UCF, it seemed like they did a lot of good this season. It seems like they might be pretty good. Actually, maybe good. Maybe not as good as these teams, but we don't really know. And part of the selling point for this playoff was that everybody will have a chance to be in the discussion for number four, number three. And instead, we had UCF there ranked at number 12. So they go into their bowl game. They play the Auburn Tigers in the Peach Bowl. And UCF beats them outright. So this is also interesting to note. Because Auburn was one of the very best teams in football that year. Auburn played Georgia earlier in the season. And they beat them 40-17. to A Georgia team that would lose in the national title game in overtime. Auburn, that season. They also beat the Alabama Crimson Tide 26-14. to an Alabama team that beat Georgia in overtime of the national title game. So I get there's a little bit of transitive math here involved, which can get a little squampus when it comes to trying to grade this team versus that. However, I merely bring this up to give you a picture that this Auburn team was good at football and a UCF team that already had good wins on its resume going into the bowl game that was ranked number 12 by the playoff committee, then played Auburn, beat them outright, which further gave us a clear picture in our minds of, hmm, UCF might have actually been a good football team. Now, hindsight's always 20-20, right? Without that Auburn win, there's a lot of murkiness about UCF. And then they played them and it was clear. Oh, this is good. This is just a good team. Could they have beaten two of these teams in the playoff? Probably not. But the demoralizing part of this 2017 season. It wasn't necessarily that UCF was not in the playoff. It was that they weren't in the discussion for the playoff. A very hard pill to swallow. 
for anybody who believed that a non-blue blood team would be taken seriously by a bunch of old people eating a continental breakfast. That's what was hard to stomach about this season. Just as, just as it can be hard to stomach these old sausages that you're eating at the Best Western. I get it. Okay, there's a lot of parallels here going on. So, we come to this season and reasons to be optimistic and pessimistic. But also, a lot of things that hold intrigue and why I, through three weeks, 3.2 weeks if you want to count week zero, am very interested in A, how this season is gone and B, where it is heading. Because this is a season where the discussion is theoretically, at least theoretically in all caps, it's opening up for who should be in that discussion for the three spot, who should be in that discussion for the four spot, who should merit discussion for the college football playoff race. And there's, like Bill Connolly said, there's a lot of teams that currently look pretty intriguing. There are obvious blue bloods who are on the rise through three weeks that old people at a best Western will take very seriously if they keep winning. Penn State, they've looked great. Two awesome wins on their resume against Wisconsin and Auburn. They keep winning, they'll be there. Michigan, same vein. Uh, They've been pounding on teams. I don't know if Washington's very good, so maybe that's not a marquee win. However, they've just annihilated the three teams in their path. That's all you can ask. And prior to last season, at least Jim Harbaugh had a track record of being very good. Maybe not great, but Michigan was always there. Top 15-ish team. Could they be a little bit better than that this year? I don't know. We'll see. Texas A&M, they're struggling to find who their quarterback can be with Haynes King going down their starter uh, two weeks ago against Colorado. But we know how well they've recruited. We know they're still undefeated. We know that... If they can do some damage in the SEC, well, they'll definitely be in the discussion for a playoff berth. Notre Dame, same boat. They've kind of pieced together wins with a little bit of smoke and mirrors. Florida State win. Who knows how that kind of occurred. They're struggling on Saturday. They're struggling two weeks ago against Toledo. But if they keep winning, I can assure you that Notre Dame is a team that old people at a continental breakfast love more than absolutely anybody. And then there's kind of the step down. There's the teams that aren't necessarily blue bloods, but they're still serious football schools in big time conferences that college football playoff committee, they'll take very seriously if they keep winning. Oregon's right at the top of the list. They have the marquee of the, the marquee win of the season so far on the road at Ohio State. They keep winning. I can guarantee you they will be in the playoff. That doesn't even need to be discussed. They're currently who's filling the number three spot in pretty much every media member's poll. Iowa Hawkeyes, the defense looks incredibly good. They got two good wins already under their belt against Indiana and Ohio State when they just annihilate them with defense. Can their offense actually hold up against the brunt of a Big Ten schedule? I'm a little bit skeptical of that, but They've shown enough that I know their defense will keep them in every single game. Michigan State, same conference. Didn't expect a lot out of them, and they've looked shockingly good through three weeks, including just a little bit of a beatdown of Miami, Florida on Saturday. They're going to have to survive the Nebraska Cornhuskers this Saturday, but you do that and you go through the Big Ten schedule, they'll be floating around. 
One of the teams I am most intrigued by when it comes to chaos theory in college football and who can throw a monkey wrench into the season. The team that probably represents that more than any other team is the Ole Miss Rebels. They have Matt Coral at quarterback, who is in the discussion for being, I don't know, maybe a number one draft choice in the NFL, who is coached by Lane Kiffin, one of the most gifted offensive minds in the sport. And through the early parts of the season, Ole Miss is suddenly playing defense. And if that quarterback and that play caller combination can be backed by a defense that is at the very least reasonable, there is a lot of opportunity for them to affect the SEC race, which in turn is going to affect the national title race. Then that same conference, another team that could possibly throw a large monkey wrench into things is the Arkansas Razorbacks. Two weeks ago, awesome, fantastic beatdown of Texas at home. They have another opportunity to merit discussion for whether or not they should be in the uh, right there for the number three or the number four spot or college football playoff berth because they're playing Texas A&M on Saturday. I'm already on the Hogs plus six, as I said on yesterday's show. But you get a win against Texas A&M, one of those blue bloods on the rise, and I can assure you that old people at Best Western, they're going to make note. Now, then we take another step down. And we arrive at three teams that, for purposes of this discussion, are the most interesting to see how they are treated if they keep winning. And and I want to say, please, use the giant asterisk. I'm not saying that these teams will win out. I'm not saying any of these teams will win out. It's highly more likely than not that all of these teams have losses on their record, okay? We're three weeks into the season, and everything that seems clear as day now when it comes to this person's pathway to being an undefeated team, it's never that in college football. So all these teams will probably lose. However, for purposes of the chaos of college football and for purposes of who should merit inclusion, who should be talked about as a three-team or as a four-team, there are three teams that are very interesting to talk about if they keep winning. Cincinnati, BYU, and Coastal Carolina. Currently the number eight, the number 15, and the number 17 ranked teams in the most recent AP poll. These three teams will be a very good litmus test for the playoff committee in present day. Because they do not check the boxes that the college football playoff committee likes or requires, even if they are not willing to verbalize said requirements. Again, I'll mention this so people don't get on my case. Obviously, these teams need to keep winning, which is much easier said than done because they still all have enormous hurdles to clear. Cincinnati, the number eight ranked team in the most recent AP poll. Probably the biggest game of their entire program's history in two weeks against Notre Dame on the road. If they win that game, they still have games left against, you know, pick your AAC team of choice, SMU, UCF, whoever you want, a possible AAC title game looming if they continue winning. However, if they go through that, they'll have wins against Indiana, probably going to be a middling Big Ten team. They'll have a win on the road at Notre Dame. At the very least, the playoff committee will have to make note of that because nobody loves Notre Dame more than old people. And if they're undefeated moving along, it will be very interesting to see how this particular team is treated 
Because in the past, they're like a UCF. They are a team that is not welcome in this discussion. You're an AAC team. You're not a blue blood program. You don't have a proud tradition in football. You're playing SMU and UCF, teams we love to thumb our nose at. We don't really want to give you the light of day. That's how teams like this have been treated in the past. We're not welcome here. BYU, they still have games left against Boise State, against Baylor, Washington State, Virginia, USC. None of these teams are awesome. All of these teams on the right day can beat you. BYU, they already have three Pac-12 wins on their resume. They beat Arizona, who is atrocious. They beat Utah, who might not be that good, but still, Utah has been traditionally a very reasonable team. And they beat Arizona State, who was a top 25 team until BYU beat them on Saturday. You continue winning, it will be interesting to see how the playoff committee is ranking you as the season goes along. Coastal Carolina, ranked 17th in the most recent AP poll. Games left, you know, against your teams of choice, whether App State, whether Troy, possible title game against a team like University of Louisiana Lafayette. Who knows? However, there is a note that I want to make because a common refrain from people who follow this sport is that teams that are not blue bloods will only be treated as real playoff contenders if they do it for multiple years. Asinine, crazy, truly absurd. It feeds into the way that the powers that exist in college football will do everything in their power to prevent anyone else from climbing the ladder. And they'll just create hurdles out of thin air and say, oh, UCF, you had a great season this year in 2017, but you got to do it for multiple years and then we'll take you seriously, which makes no sense. There's no correlation from one season to the next as to how you should be grading a team in this particular season. That goes contrary to everything that a one season title race stands for. But I mean, try to make sense of any logic that old people have. It's just absurdity. It's how... 2018 UCF was treated with more respect until they lost simply because they were good the year prior. Again, this is not a multi-year national title race. This is a one-year national title race based upon your resume this year and how you've performed. This is how the committee works if you are not one of the powers that be. Uh, uh, actually, you got to do this for multiple years. And then maybe at some point, if things break right and the stars align, we will take you seriously. So again, for purposes of this discussion, it's interesting to talk about these three teams because they clear that particular hurdle. Cincinnati last year went nine and one. The one loss, New Year's Day bowl game against the University of Georgia, who kicked a field goal on the final play of the game to win. If you watch that game, Cincinnati outplayed them, and deserved to win. Strange series of events at the end of the game prevented them from doing so. However, at the very least, people watched that game and went, hmm, Cincinnati did not look out of place in this game. BYU last year, 11-1, albeit against a total garbage schedule. But it's important to make note that BYU was floating around in the public conscience. Were they a good team last year? Who knows? How do you judge any team that played that schedule? They had Zach Wilson, who was drafted number two overall. We know that. Now BYU is 3-0 with three Power 5 conference wins. 
Last year, that one loss, it's a loss at the buzzer against Coastal Carolina, one of the games of the year, a game that was scheduled that very week. So again, at the very least, BYU has been floating around the public conscience last year. So now you keep winning. Theoretically, they clear that hurdle of, well, you got to do this for multiple years. Coastal Carolina, last year, 11-1. 11-0 going into their bowl game. A loss in overtime to Liberty and possible top NFL draft choice Malik Willis at quarterback. They're also checking that box. All three of these teams who have looked good early, who looked good last year, are floating around in a season that Three of the five teams that matter look like they might not be as good as we thought. Two teams, I can already guarantee that about. Clemson and Ohio State. Oklahoma, you have to see them lose before you can fully engage with this, but they have not looked impressive. So when you start going down the list of, hmm, who could maybe bubble up? There's a slew of teams that are in contention for these spots. Right now, three weeks into the season. Again, early. Again, all these teams have to keep winning all the caveats however these three teams in particular cincy byu coastal carolina they kind of represent one of the most interesting questions of the football the college football season for me in particular if they keep winning will they be taken seriously as contenders for a playoff berth i'm not even saying at the very end of the season when it's all settled i'm saying when those first playoff committee rankings come out in whatever week in October. Where are these teams ranked if they are still undefeated and have good wins on their resume relative to all these other teams? Will they be taken seriously? Or will they be treated as mid-major teams of the past? Essentially, those who are not welcome. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel at CEO.com.